Newfie is reading the newspaper. He's looking for a job. <laughs> he sees he sees in the in there that oh they're looking for a foreman for a company. It's like all right, so he calls up the company. His supervisor picks up the phone. They have a little quick talk. Whatever says all right, come in tomorrow for an uh, in person interview. Newfie goes yes, boy, I'll be right there. Next morning comes up. He comes up to the office. Supervisor sets him down. He says, all right, I'm going to put a piece of pa- uh, paper and a pencil in front of you. I want you to show me numbers without writing numbers in either letter or number form. Okay. So the Newfie looks at him and goes, okay. Supervisor goes, all right, show me the number nine. Newfie goes, that's easy, boy. Draws three trees. What's this? Tree, tree, and tree is nine. <laughs> so he goes, all right. Show me 99. <laughs> Newfie goes, all right, bye, I got you. Licks his thumb, smudges each tree. So what the hell is this? Dirty tree, dirty tree, dirty tree, 99. <laughs> Supervisor's looking at him for a second. I said, I'm going to get you now, you bastard. <laughs> all right, show me the number 100. Newfie looks at him for a second. All right. All right, I got you. Draws a little stick underneath each tree. The supervisor goes, all right. I understood the first two, but what in the bloody hell is this? Well, a dog came by and had a shit in front of each tree. Tree, tree, and a turd, tree, tree, and a turd, tree, tree, and a turd. <laughs> I never heard that one. I love that one. That's good. <laughs> oh, man. Something a little different to open up the show, man. That's actually a good one. I like that a lot. We're going to upset some newfies, though. Uh, Will we? I am one. Do we? Yeah, you are one. That's the thing about it. So today, I got Sheet Metal Steve on the show. What are we, Steve, what are we going to talk about here, man? We're going to talk a lot of, obviously, sheet metal, but you also work for Black & Mac, yep. or Black & Yeah, I guess the official name is Black & McDonald. Correct. What's the official official name? It's Black McDonald. Like Corporation Limited. Industry yeah. or something like that. But everyone, I guess, on the street or whatever is Black & Mac. Yeah. That's what it is. And, and then you were telling me just off mic before we got started, Black & Mac is like international, huge corporation. Yeah. They're like so They're anybody massive. like the first time I didn't even realize this because most people, when they first heard that I started working for them, it's like, aren't they electrical? That's the no. assumption. That's the assumption. Yeah. They're damn near everything. They do a lot. They do, they a, do lot. a lot. So I, I want to talk a lot about sheet metal. I know that you got your red seal in one. I know that you're working on others as well. Right. You're still a young guy, and, and it's, it's good that you're hungry to get all these other tickets as well, right, to mm-hmm. get going. So I want to talk a lot about, about that and then the, the unions and Black and & Mac and the construction and everything like that. So let's get into the whole thing, man. Absolutely. So how did you get – how old are you? 35 in September. Oh, you're a baby still, man. I'm pushing 50 soon. So you're still a baby and you got all this this, this stuff that you've done way before me, man. But I've gone another route in construction. When did you get started? Actually, I kind of fell into it in 2007. Okay. My, not uh, too long ago. Not too long ago. My father actually used to go hunting with the owner's son of one of the companies I started with. And they kind of like they gave me the job. That was my shoe in because typically a lot of companies... They're not hiring from a resume. They're they're like past experience, past knowledge, personal referenced. Yeah, you know, kind of people. And it's kind of like I've I've known these guys since I was yay tall. Okay, say so, like, hey, I need to get something because there's too many temp jobs, too many this, too many that. I probably had about 
13 jobs before I started in sheet metal. Different jobs in, in construction different or jo just, no, just different jobs entirely. Apparently. What was the range? I'm curious. Like what was the wide range? Oh, typical youngster working at a grocery store. I did cashier, grocery, bus boy, like all the stuff. All that stuff. Okay. Worked for security where sadly to say they wanted me to pay for my own gun license to work at a private jewelry store just off of South Kingsway. Really? Oh yeah. That seems a little wrong. A little, little wrong and excessive, <laughs> yeah. Is the word I would use, I guess? Absolutely. Okay. So you said no to that. Yeah, I, I worked for them because I had my security license, but they kept on pushing, pushing, pushing for me to pay for my own PAL, and it was like, no, sorry, not happening, goodbye. Okay, so a variety of jobs, and then you got the first official construction job? First official construction job. I did a couple of temp agency jobs here and there. So I did, like, I obviously knew about tools and that, but the, my father worked being a laborer for a couple companies. We always screwed around with all kinds of stuff. I always used tools regardless of what I was doing because I used to build my own computers. I was like, what the hell? I'm like, I'm not paying someone two grand for a machine I can build for 500 bucks. <laughs> it's true. With a big Apple on it. <laughs> it's true. No, that's even high end. I'm talking just PC. Like I know, that. I know. I, I had a good friend of mine, he was doing the exact same thing and when he actually broke it all down, I was like, what? It costs uh -huh. what? What are you talking yeah. about? And then you figure it out. So yeah. after flipping a couple of machines for three grand that I built for 1200 bucks. It's lucrative. So that's the first dive into metal. First, first dive into playing with tools, working for all that kind of stuff. First time diving into metal, didn't even know what sheet metal was. I just said I needed a job. I need to do something. So why that one out of all the other options? I think though? it was because of the end. Okay. Like I did, I did no research into it. No, nothing. I went like ass over tea kettle right into the sheet metal trade, working for a large roofing company. Their ratio was out of whack for apprenticeships to journeymen. Okay. But the owner kind of like, that's it. Give you the big finger up. And it's like, no, no, we're taking him on right up a work order. We don't care. I'm grateful they gave me the opportunity because that's what kind of got me here. From there, yeah, it's going through the going through the trade, learning sheet metal. I started off in the shop doing fabrication sheet metal work is hard like i look at it it's it is to me it's hard there's an artistry to it there is and and there's a lot of math there's a lot of math there's and a lot of and that's something a lot of students don't understand oh well i'm just going to be an installer i'm just going to do this i'm just going to do that lesson buddy you're going to have so much math mm -hmm. in your trades doesn't matter what trade you do a lot of them they all have math but it all depends on the severity right sheet metal has its own math because we have to find out the radius lengths, arc lengths, swing points. We're doing flat, full layouts. You're origami basically a, a piece of flat material. Right. And that's challenging. So you actually have to have vision on when you look at a three-dimensional object. How to turn that 2D in order to make the 3D. Yes. That's where... I'm in awe of the artistry of a sheet metal person. I mean, I've seen bad work as well, too, right? We all have. <laughs> let's, not, let's not kid ourselves. There's no math in any of that. And There's a lot more butcher beavers than there are artistry. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, th but then I guess I, it, it makes you appreciate the really good ones that do really good work, yep. right? And when I first met you, I was in awe. I would just like stand there and just watch. And I'm just like going... Like, I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to calculate. I don't know. But I'm in awe of what you're doing, man. And that's like, I just very respectful of those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And it's the same thing. If someone's doing a shit job, I'll just speak up. But then I make another new friend in my list of new friends. You know what yeah. I mean? Like doing some of the flashings that terminate on top of the yeah. uh, roofing membrane. Yeah. A lot of people just notch, notch, bend it, 
slap it on. Done. It looks ugly. Yeah. If you're going to have standouts that you're going to have like a nice caulking ledge or they seem very simple things, but they can, they're simple things that can go wrong very quickly because if you don't have the right overlaps in metal, not only does it look ugly, but it has no function. And now guess what? There's a water penetration. I was just about to say that outside of the math and the skill and the trade and the artistry, you're still waterproofing the structure. You yeah. can't forget the waterproofing of the structure. So not only does it have to look good, it, it has, has to, to be, function. Yes, exactly. So who taught you? Basically all the journeymen and other apprentices I served with. Little so bits here and there? Little bits here and there. Learned everything through the company. I was in the shop for, my, for I want to say about a year, my first year apprenticeship. Then they put me out in the field with a couple of guys. And it was, well, it's a Red Seal apprenticeship. So it's a full 9,000 hours, 1,800 hours a year got laid off to go to school. To me, that's the very plausible, like you're the only reason why you're getting laid off is not because you suck. It's you have to do your school. Retraining. Part of this Red Seal program is three phases of day school. You're learning more than just your work scope. How do you feel about the actual apprentice? Is it it balanced correctly or do we need more of school and less of on-site or vice versa? That's a tough one to put down. Because I'm trying to figure out who actually sets up those parameters to begin with right because i know you hear it all the time any red seal you're going through i don't know what they are the increments sheet metal is nine thousand, but i mean framing is less right i think framing is a little bit less seven thousand framing framing is a little bit less i'm not sure if it's less than that i believe plumbing and electrical are both nine thousand hours. yeah they're up there but as far as it's it's a bit of a weird one because so you look at what's involved with each trade i would say the electricians don't have enough schooling because there's a lot of background information they need to learn to be before you get on site before you get either both before you get on site but also as you're progressing i'd agree with you on that 100 percent, because i think they do require more and i'd almost say the same thing with plumbing because you've heard so many stories about plumbers or not i think there should be when i say more on plumbing side not necessarily more about the plumbing itself the trade itself Mm -hmm. as much as they should learn more about structure and framing more so then they're not so quick to chop out certain things that Mm -hmm. they're not well versed in well and see that's where we're going to get into the discussion of union non-union that's the other because as far as the red seal trade is concerned the schooling is the same because it's an approved education program by the Ministry of Education. It, what it used to be was the Ministry of Training, Colleges, and Universities, which is now OCOT. Yeah. Don't know what the, what's going on with that. They reduced our free our fees for the apprentice, the tickets. I don't think they're doing as much policing anymore, which is an issue. Not Is that COVID-related or just in general, the actual program itself? I think what the issue is, is they either... I don't know what's gone on with them, whether because of all the fights between, okay, we're going to go after people who are unlicensed practicing the trades illegally, which is a bit of a stretch because there's a lot of aspects of certain trades that you're not going to get going through the proper channels, not to put the sparkies under the bus, but when you're doing a high rise, you get apprentices doing nothing but screwing on light covers. What are they learning? They're not learning much. Same thing with sheet metal. We've, I've encountered apprentices where they're pushing a broom. It's like, no, I don't agree with that. I think everything should be a team effort. You don't have apprentices unloading trucks. You don't have apprentices doing all the cleanup. It's like, no, no, 
I'm going to make you do some of the work. So you learn what you're doing and then we're going to clean this all up together. Is it a safety argument? Are they considering it as uh, maybe we just are a little too nervous because they might be too green? But I agree with you a thousand percent that you shouldn't just get apprentices doing all the menial kind of right. cleanup tasks, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, I, I, I agree with you that the crew, the team, they should be contributing to all cleanup. Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be beneath you if you are this much of a seniority compared to anybody right. else. I think anybody at any age should be picking up a broom. Right. You know, and I'm respectful of anybody that's either in their last year or their first year picks up a broom yeah. and sweep. So I agree with you on that. Circling back onto the OCOT, they don't have the funding or they haven't directed themselves well enough to be able to create jurisdictional breakups. Okay. So this is where we're having that issue between unlicensed, licensed, fly-by-nighters, real contractors. We need some sort of barriers between what qualifies you as an individual to do this work that could potentially either harm someone or cause millions of dollars of damage. And I think I like how the States is broke up where even contractors have to apply for a license and they Every, have, and they have to yeah. do testing for licensing. You want to do drywall? Guess what? State of Missouri, whatever they have, you need to have a license for any type of work you want to do. You want to do bricklaying? You got to have a license. You got to pass their tests. GCs, but that's not, here and any, that's not here in Canada at all. I, think I can open up a construction business in three minutes. But I thought in Hamilton area, you had to get a license to be a GC. Am I am I wrong on that one? I'm not sure about Hamilton. Okay, but as far as Toronto, definitely not. As, as far as just becoming a stereotypical contractor. Yeah, I wake up, I start. Yeah, that's it. Your starting point is a client that says, "I'm going to hire you." That's your starting point. Exactly. And I think that there, and I agree with you, that there should be some some kind of mandate, something, because then you can kind of weed out certain people. Right. Because I know that with COVID ending, hopefully one day, you know, a lot of people lost work, lost their careers, lost their jobs, lost, lost. a lot of people gain a lot. Mm -hmm. But I think there is going to be an influx of people getting into trades. And we're going to get that 90s rock and roll mentality where I'll just do it. I'll just swing a hammer. I'll pick it up. I've yeah. got to pick up. I got to whatever. I'll do it. And that's just going to make it harder again for us. So it's almost like another cycle. We're mm -hmm. going to have to prove that we're not those fly-by-night people. Exactly. So it's a shame, but I, I totally agree with you on that. So how the thing is, how do we do that? That's, that's a tough decision. Yeah. Like it's do we do the rebellion act and start doing petitions and forcing the government to put in mandates? We, they already know the direction they should be going. What if we do it ourselves? What if we self-regulate ourselves? Does that make any sense? Can we do that? That would. Okay, obviously the government won't recognize that. The government won't recognize that at all. The only way I can think of that that's already being done is by some of our reno actors. Oh, really? Huh? How? What are they doing? Well, I don't want to name the names. But, <laughs> but if you think about the, what is a couple of the biggest reno actors... They have their approved. Okay, I got it. All right, so I know where you're going with this. Right, but so if you get if you get on those lists, I don't know how those are regulated. I think they should be highly regulated. They're regulated by the payment being processed. Yeah, which is not. That's the regulation. I'll share a little story about a, a an approved program. A few months back, I had a contractor reach out to me, ask me for some work. 
because he lost work. And I said, you know what? I've got a couple of bathrooms coming up. If you want to take them on, you can take them on. You take on the full responsibility. You can have it. I'll introduce you to the client and you do the work. I'll be a go-between. That's all it is. So that's exactly what I did. I said, but you're going to hire all the subtrades. You're going to hire everybody. And eventually he ended up hiring an approved tile setter. This tile setter, they arrived. And sure enough, they were proud of the stickers that were on their vehicle. And I'm like, okay, great, whatever. I'll just, I'm turning a blind eye. It's not my job. I've just kind of passed this on to somebody else. I want him to do it and take care of it and experience and all this other stuff. We walked through the scope of work, specifically what the client, the client never hired this person. The GC that I gave the job to hired this person. They came in and their approved person butchered it. He should have been wearing a lab coat and cutting meat because he would have did a much better job, right? It was just a bad, bad job. You know, a few days go by and I get complaints from the client and I come by site and I take a look at it and I was made aware that the site super of this approved program was just here, signed off on everything. At which point I photographed all the deficiencies that the client brought up mm -hmm. and then I sent it to them. And I said, I'm sorry, but this is unacceptable and all this has to get changed, right? So then we had another site meeting and they came and then all of a sudden they agreed to fix everything and they didn't want to get started right away. So I said, well, I need to keep on going and I need to keep the peace and I need to have the client happy again, not sad. Yeah. So I said, we'll get started with the demo. We'll get started and we'll take care of all this other stuff. So then we did all the demo. We got it all going. And then we, there was an email sent saying, there's going to be a back charge here. There's going to be an offset to the cost that you guys presented to the mm -hmm. cost that it's costing now, right? Yeah. They did everything, fixed most of it. And then left, we agreed to leave some of it because I didn't want them to finish the job. And then all of a sudden came the balance sheet. So I presented the balance sheet and technically speaking, they owed the person I gave the job to a hundred and change. They disagreed. Then they started making threats about taking the homeowner to court. And I'm like, let me get this straight. The homeowner never hired you. You had no contact with the homeowner, but now you're making these threats. So I said, okay, go ahead, make these threats all you want. I know what the law is. I know what you're allowed or yeah. not allowed to do. So you can make all these threats. Eventually they just disappeared. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's the skill set of an approved program. So it goes back to you saying, who's governing this? Who's acknowledging yeah. this? When you have approved programs out there and on their first page, when you go to their website, it says we are no longer affiliated with the workmanship that this trade does. How is that backing the trade yeah. and the work that they're doing. That's why I say that these approved programs are based on process payment, mm -hmm. not by, okay, I'm going to go see Not by actual work. quality, not yeah. certifications. If, not if I had an approved member, a part of an association, I'd be like, you know what? First of all, I want to meet you. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to talk to you. Maybe even talk to you like on a podcast, have a conversation, get an idea of who you are as a person. You know, Steve, like when you meet somebody in the trades, within seconds, if you're a passionate tradesperson, within seconds, you know if this person is of like-minded or they care just in general okay. speaking, right? Is this their career or is it just a job? Exactly. So you know that right off the bat. So the thing is, but I mean, you want to do that, especially if you attach your name to something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the first thing I would do. And the second is go to their job site and take a look at it. If you're nervous about showing the workmanship that you provide, then maybe there is something up mm -hmm. at that point. So that's why I was kept on asking why is there a way that we self do it? I mean, I know that STC, the skills trades college there, they tried to get associated with the government and the government wouldn't do it. 
they're doing it on their own. They have their program. It's a four-month program, whatever. They have electrical. They have plumbing. They have home renovations. They're right. trying to expand to other ones. And you get the kids in there, and the kids are in there for those four months. And the home renovation, you actually get to do a mock-up of an entire house. So you get to do framing, trim, floor structures, roof structures. You hand-built roofs. You waterproof everything. You install windows. You install door. You install tile. And I'm like, that's a good four-month course that you can get a very good gauge of this student if they're going to absorb it or not. Same thing with electrical and same thing with plumbing. I find that the government is moving too slow or maybe they have other mandates, other political agendas agendas that maybe are the flavor of the month at that point because most politicians are, they care more about staying in office instead mm-hmm. of actually pleasing the community. Right. And it's not necessarily pleasing the community. I mean, to some degree, like I'm, I'm sure a lot of the politicians get into play where they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and they, you know, they everybody, all, they have every, everybody. All, everyone has all these grand aspirations. Yes. But then it's such a like most things that are public money become toxic environments Yeah. where you're poisoned by your environment. Yeah. So you're obviously going to have things happen that, OK, you know what? All these things you wanted to do, they're not going to happen because it takes six to eight months to get even get looked at, never mind passed. But why does it take so long to do that? I kept on joking about how, what if we built like the government? What if you like sheet metal or did a project or like the government? You lose the clients, you would lose referrals, you would lose your business. That basically means the government is a business and the business is not operating properly. It's operating in a deficit. And we can clearly see it by seeing the money being wasted on certain things Mm -hmm. that is not benefiting the communities, the people. Yeah. Right. And that, that's a whole lot of political. Yeah. I don't I don't, I don't want to get into too much of that, but I just it's, it's interesting. I agree that, with you that I, that's the, political podcast. Number yeah. Yeah. And that's a different. Yeah. We'll get in trouble and all. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I wanted to try to get a more. How do we get more kids? Because obviously kids are so motivated by I can make more money by being on TikTok. If yeah. I'm showing something funny or if I'm doing something funny or I'm showing well, skin and, or whatever. And he, right. Oh, well, and I was actually going to touch on that. Like there's there's the. I wouldn't call it shameful because a lot of people, it's, you know, what your body, your whatever, all that kind of stuff. Getting kids involved in the trades. I approached it before. I'm going to approach it again for getting the local unions involved with, say, programs like Big Brother. Okay, that makes sense. Let's, Let's get some ties together. Let's get some things going on where we can show these kids what it's all about. Like, we don't need to sit there and just show them a paycheck. Anyone can do that, go on union, non-union. I had guys flip the union when they someone just showed them, okay, here's my weekly paycheck. Drop the tools, quit that week. And went. And went to the union. Now, you don't always get the quality that way. The paycheck is there, but the quality... But are we not taught, you're young enough, and, and, I, and I'm in the same mindset, that you should never be doing anything for the paycheck. No. Right, so it's like... like the, pay, the paycheck is your backup. Yes. But you should be doing something because you enjoy it, you love it. If you don't like what you're doing, change it. And it's the same with when I used to have a business where XYZ is not making me money. So guess what? All these have to change. Either I got to change them into something else or I got to drop them all together. But that's the hardest decision for anybody to t- actually tell themselves. This is not a decision or a, a evaluation is more of a yes. better word. It's a very difficult evaluation, yes. especially when you want to bring enjoyable people around i've heard of issues with some people where they brought on their buddies their buddies sank the company partnerships 
partnerships. With the wrong partner. Yes. Lateral moves or vertical moves. Mm -hmm. Decisions on on scope of work or projects that you want to do or not vetting the correct clients. Right. Right. And also not vetting the correct employers because you don't know. Okay, so maybe that employment started a certain way, Mm -hmm. but then it's changed its mandates, changed its mission statement. And then you got stuck in that that change. And then all of a sudden they tried to make you what you didn't want to be. And then all of a sudden you realize, I don't want to be a part of this. And we all agree that you're a product of your circle. Mm-hmm. So if you get into a, a business and working with an employer that doesn't really care and only cares about the paycheck and can make all these shortcuts everywhere to just profit, then that's going to affect on you. And then mm-hmm. you're going to become that person too. If you want to do that, then by all means do that. But if it's eating away at you, then change it. Then change it. Yeah. But it's hard for someone to sit in front of the mirror, evaluate themselves truthfully. Oh, 100 Not ask strangers or your friends, no. what's wrong with me? It's you got to ask that question of yourself. Exactly. And you actually other, have other to answer people's, it. Other people's opinions of you mean nothing. They you, shouldn't mean shit. If you can't have shit. your own opinions about yourself, yeah. you're looking in the wrong place. Exactly. And it's hard for people, especially in today's day, and I go back to the TikTok and the social Mm -hmm. media, because they're so filtered based. Like they believe they actually look this way. They act this way. They have this kind of talent. Mm -hmm. You repeating movements on a screen from a computer and singing auto-tune to something that's being correcting your natural voice doesn't mean you have talent. Mm -hmm. I was joking the other day where I was trying to figure out, because there's a page on Instagram that I follow that he shows you where all the music tunes came from. Yeah. All the recent. So any music yeah. from 2000 and up is sampling music from as far back 80s. as the 1930s. Yeah. Taking little riffs and stuff like that. And little I'm like... Little riffs, speeding yeah. them up. And I'm trying to think them. of when was the last artist that actually just made original music? But see, that's the confrontational topic because... So you're using someone else's beats. Yes. You're coming up with your own words. Yes. The same could be said about, say, taking sounds in nature and doing your own track. True. So you're taking what's in the environment around you. You're not making it better, but you're making something yourself. But what you have to do is give credit to. You should. You should always. But in today's audience, don't worry about it. The phones always go off. Today's audience, they use that familiar sound from the past to hook the listener in to purchase that track. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have a problem with because the artists from yesterday didn't do that. The artists from yesterday were inspired. They They were just inspired. They could have been traveling. They could have seen a a landscape. They could have been sitting on the dock and and just been inspired. And that's how they got that track. Or we, we go through our hardships. We had lost our loves and all this other stuff, right? That's what is inspiration today. You get that riff and you take that sample and you make a tune and then you come up with your original lyrics and then you put it together and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you put the hook in, you get the crescendo and there's your track and you sell X amount of things, right? Again, it's for the dollar. Yeah. And I think as tradespeople, you shouldn't be doing that. No. I think you should still, if you are passionate about trade, about the industry, you should find your passion. You should yeah. find why you're passionate. If, if you do what you're passionate about, the money will come. And you know what? I, I'm i going to do a bit of a shout out, shout sure. out here. I listen to a lot of Gary Vee. I like Gary Vee a lot. I love it. Everything. It's zero Fs to give. Zero filters. Zero filters. Yeah. It's all about happiness, whether you're eating craft dinner every night or steak sirloin, 
It doesn't matter what makes you happy. And if you're always going to chase the dollar, well, the dollar doesn't make everyone happy because you could have all the money in the world, but you'd be a lonely motherfucker. That's true. I've seen people that are making 50, 60 grand happy as forever. And I've seen people that are multimillionaires and completely miserable. miserable. Yeah. And that's a fact. Three wives we, later, yes. 10 kids. Lost this, lost that. Yeah. What, fighting this, fighting that. And I'm like, what's the point of all this, man? I guess the idea is that you, as a kid, you're so happy. We get a kick out of hockey cards and spokes and that sound. Yeah. And, and you're outside and it's a beautiful summer day or it's a beautiful winter day. And you're enjoying it and you're happy. And all of a sudden you become an adult and you lose it. Mm-hmm. And there was somebody, I can't remember who it was, was saying like that we, lo- we lose that happiness in our faces. You know what I mean? Where you, you, you can see it in your 20s and 30s. And it's funny how all through school, we do the yearly elementary class mm-hmm. picture. And I remember one year uh, for my mom for Christmas as a joke, I came across, uh, I've got four siblings, right? So I'm the fourth one. And I came across everybody's elementary class picture. And so as a joke, I put them all together as a collage and then just put it all on the wall for the Christmas dinner. And then we basically spent the evening trying to figure out who we were and, and like laughing our asses off because of what we looked like so long ago and then remembering the friends that we had. Yeah. But the one thing that all those pictures had in common is that everybody was happy. Like even though you were awkward and strange in those pictures, it was you were happy. Yeah. And it's funny how once you leave school, you don't take those pictures anymore. And maybe we should. Maybe we should have group photos when you're actually a tradesperson in your crew and you're working and you take a classroom photo. Maybe that'll, and then everyone's kind of happy, right, at that point, or maybe they're not happy. You, it goes back to evaluating yourself in front of the mirror. Yeah. You got to figure out, you wake up, why am I not smiling? Why am I not happy? Yeah. What, it's, is it because of where I'm at right now? Maybe I got to change that. Mm-hmm. Is it because of the job or the person I'm with? I got to change that. That's it. No, I totally agree, man. So I don't know how we got onto that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Trying to figure out. So Welcome I mean, to ADHD, weird tangents. No, that's just how it is, man. <laughs> okay, so I want like t- let's talk a little bit about the sheet metal more and yep. different materials that you've worked with, and then I want to get into Black and Mac a little bit and what you're doing there, and then I want to talk about the tickets as well too that you're also planning on doing, right? So material-wise, you basically have taken on any kind of metal, copper, galvanized. If it's made out of metal, I've probably done it. Really? Huh? What's the easiest and hardest to work with? But I guess copper is like copper is both. Easy and hard. Yes. Why is that? Because it is the most malleable, so it's easiest to shape, easiest to mess up. Because you put one kind of blemish into it, you're never getting that blemish out. You have to start all over. Forget about it. Okay. Second on that list would be aluminum. If it's cold, aluminum will crack prematurely. Really? So if you so if you bend if you're bending up some aluminum, we've done stuff with say 24 gauge aluminum, which is not super thick. But it's thick enough that if you bend it, then bend it back, it cracks and shears. Really? Which is why the knife trick is so easy with residential aluminum. You put it in your brake, score it, bend it a couple of times, boom, gone. That's done. Done. What about the hot and cold? You got to do the work differently depending on a hot summer and a cold winter? You do. So say if you're doing siding panels made out of flat sheets, they're, they're all hook seams. So each one hooks into the next one. If you're doing it in the middle of summer, everything's already swelled. So you want to give a relaxed install of about, I want to say about an eighth of an inch, because in the winter time, everything contracts and then everything becomes tight. If you make it all tight during the summer months, once it becomes winter, it becomes stressed and that metal will bow. 
oil can. You'll get the oil canning, and then by the time the next summer comes up, uh, you could have pieces fall off from things stretching too so much. So they'll continue to they will continue expand to, and contract. Yes. Yeah. And funny fact on that, uh, not sheet metal concrete, they say, was it the gardener is a meter or three meters longer in the summer than it is the winter? Is it really? It is. Because they have those stress cuts where they have those expansion yeah. clips where you see the metal and the rubber. Yeah. So in the wintertime, you'll see those expanded. And in the summertime, they contract. Keep an eye out for that. So basically, when you drive over it... So in it, the summertime, you'll see the rubber closed. Yeah. Whereas in the wintertime, you'll see it open. Did you say three meters longer? It's either a meter or three meters longer. Wow. But that's a lot of concrete, right? Well, because there's a lot of metal in that, right? It's all structurally... There is, is structural rebar. Yeah. But even concrete has an expansion It expands rate. and it contracts. Okay. Concrete does. Which is why it cracks. That's why you put stress cuts. And so it can crack there. I didn't realize that concrete can move that much. But then we never think of it but because... That's how many kilometers of roadway? Yeah, I was just about to say. So if, you, if you're dealing with a house, yeah. you've got at the max maybe 50 feet or something of concrete. Yeah, so say, you're, say you got like a 50 by 100 pad. Yeah. So you're still going to have a like fractional movements of like quarter inch, 1 8, 3 16, where it can expand and contract. Whereas if you put in those stress cuts, that's where it's going to crack. And yeah. you're not going to lose the visibility of how it look at how it looks. Yeah, and that's what you're supposed to do. Well, at least you're also supposed to put that stress crack cut pretty straight. Yeah. Clean. You're supposed to. Yeah. Maybe do it on a Monday. I don't know. But um what other materials have you messed around? Galvanized? I mean, I noticed that a lot I've of I've done lots lots of galvanized. Yeah. Um, is it worth the money? Well, no, you mean like worth no, it? No. Oh no, sorry. I was going on galvanized roofing. Oh, for roofing. No. Yeah. So, we it's um it's a galvanized product, but it's a painted metal. So, so any still... pa any painted metal is still galvanized metal. Okay. It just becomes electro electro painted. So you get the wash coat on the backside, color on the other. The way the process works, when you do the bending, it won't uh, stress the metal and have the paint crack until you get up to the heavier gauges, like say 22, 20 gauge. So it gauge. will not contract and expand the same it, way. It still expands and contracts, but not to the extent. But not to not to that extent. So would you still give yourself an eighth of an inch kind of? Absolutely. You still give all it? All the time. Just a time. Okay. All right. And then you get into all the ductwork stuff. Mm -hmm. But did you ever get into that? Into commercial or, or, or resi? I did residential on my own. I uh, did a couple of jobs. They all worked out pretty. To, There's to, a little to, bit of an art to it, it too, it's, man. It's interesting. So when you need certain forms of ductwork. I'm going to get flack for this. I know it. I've already said it. Why? Out, awards and all that kind of stuff. But. It's Lego. Okay. It goes together super easy, super simple. The The biggest tricks in, to ductwork for sheet metal is when you have to lay out these crazy fittings to avoid certain interferences. That's where it gets nuts. Structural interferences. Structural interferences, electrical, any interferences, doesn't matter. You're just trying to route the air around something. Yeah. Because you're not, you don't have straight lines. No, never. Structural ended up there before you guys ended up before most of the mechanical yeah. trades. Or but, that's yeah. the way it was planned. It could have been. But then also as a, as a sheet metal person, you could figure out ways to make that travel the oh, nicest yeah. possible. Mm -hmm. I know that I recently did a job where, what is it? Standard ductwork is eight inches tall, uh, 14 or eight inches tall, 16, I think, for eight. a main truck line. Yeah, for a main truck line. Um, is it eight by 14, I think it is? For the main branch, you're looking at probably 8 by 20. 8 by 20. 
So we ended up going just for headspace. We wanted to go six by 24. Mm -hmm. So we had some custom stuff done and just to gain those extra two inches because yeah. the beams were at that height. So we were able to hide it along the beam height and then not lose. And, and you could also argue, okay, so it's two inches, no big deal. But yeah, but it actually makes everything a lot better. Oh, yeah. You know, especially in a basement that's maybe not 96 tall. Mm -hmm. It's maybe a little bit shorter. And then you've got a beam there to begin with to so hide it along the beam. So it's worth spending that extra money. Oh, absolutely. And then that's where you, you work with a, like your HVAC and plan. are you really spending that much money when the job goes that much smoother? You're not. See that? Yeah, it's, it's you, a good now, point. Now you've just spent maybe 15% more on the material, 5% more on the labor, but you're saved yourselves 35% on the install. Your trim, but also the other... done cleaner, yeah. nicer. It's planned out. Your drywall guys, we're going to appreciate instead of having to put another box around this, framers, yeah. trim, everything like that. So it's true. So are you really spending? No, you're not. You're probably saving at that point and you get a better job. Mm -hmm. What else outside on the roof there? I've actually done some of the roofing myself as well. So different uh, applications, Sarnafil, which is the white rubber that gets all hot gun applicated. Uh, you got your stereotypical asphalt and gravel. Copper, Maybe I guess, is the big one. Copper is the biggest one. I mean, like people just want that for the sake of looks, aesthetics, but it lasts forever. It does. There's a reason why churches use it. Yeah, there's a reason why. <laughs> Besides the pocketbook. <laughs> it's just because it lasts a long, long time. Yeah. I, I also learned a little trick from, from somebody who was telling me that cedar roofs, you actually put copper every so often, and that'll avoid the cedar from, correct me if I'm wrong here, it actually avoids the, the cedar from going, collecting moss or something. I can't remember what it was. There's something to do. By putting after, copper... After a certain age point, so the cedar will still get the moss, but the point is the natural compounds and chemicals in the cedar will eat away the other metals. But not copper. But not copper. Yeah. Because because copper, when it rusts, it creates a, a protective oxide, which That's is what we know green. as the patina. Yeah. Aluminum does the same thing in zinc. Oh, really? Yeah. So aluminum has a white rust oxide, which is another protective oxide, and the same with zinc. So if you put bare aluminum over time, it will turn white? A bare aluminum will turn white. Okay. Like we've had it in the chemical plants where, or in the chemical areas of the water treatment plants, it's white completely. You th you'd think the ductwork is painted. But it's not. It's that's not. Just, just the that's oxide. The oxide. And that goes back to math and school. So now as a sheet metal person. And you, metallurgy. Yeah. You, you've got you to gotta understand that. We know, we know that. this thing called the galvanic chart. Okay. What's that? It's this chart that the closer two metals are together, the less reactive they are. We were taught, I was taught like a little acronym is uh, all zebras tend to look cool. So it's that's the acronym? That's the acronym. That's a sentence, man. <laughs> I know. But it's aluminum, zinc, steel, iron, nickel, tin, lead, copper. All zebras. All zebras sin to look cool. All zebras sin to look cool. So if you put aluminum and copper together, the copper oxide will eat the aluminum. Copper. Because you got your base acidic. It's, uh, I forget how to explain it again because it's one of those, another one of those weird ones. Yeah, because there's a reason why in older homes you got copper supply lines mm -hmm. and then you've got well, the copper and a galvanized don't mix, right? They don't mix. No, they're not supposed to. You have to, to have a separation barrier. You have to have a separation. So the, the problem is that you'll get plumbers come in and not care about it, and you'll get HVAC guys come in and not care about it. And all they really care about is the electrician, as long as they put a little piece of insulation between the copper sheathing 
of an electrical wire to the ductwork, but they're mm -hmm. only doing that so then the copper sheathing, the electrical sheathing doesn't dry and deteriorate, and right. then you get copper touching the right. galvanized sheet metal. Especially when you have a wire sitting on top of a hot water pipe. And yeah, then that it, melts the sheathing pretty quick. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it dries it out, melts it, and then exposes it. Yeah. So what was then that acronym again? It's all, all zebras tend to look cool. It's like a fucking, I love learning shit. I love learning <laughs> shit, man. So, um, if you, so if you get like a clientele where, okay, so we want a copper aesthetics onto our house. Okay, great, brand, wonderful. Here's your obstacles. Here's what we can do to fix it. Or we can just change the profile altogether and use these metals. It makes sense. Are they receptive to that? Or are they just fixed on the design element that they've chosen or that designer has chosen? I think they're welcome to, they're welcome to changes when you lay it out for them science because you're, you're telling them you're not you're not giving them an option to think that either they don't know what they're talking about or the designer doesn't know what they're talking about it's like no this looks nice here's how i can do it if you don't like this we can change the elements to make it still work what's right here i'm not going i'm not about to install something i know that will fail because I'm not coming back to fix it. But every sheet metal person that's offering their services should already be having this conversation with the client before they even start. Absolutely. And if they don't bring it up, then you got to question whether or not, if they're just in fly by night, get the mm -hmm. paycheck, do the job yeah. and get out. And then by the time it does fail because of science, right? then they don't like call it. Like you're not going to install aluminum gutters below a copper roof. No. because That's you, like you're, what are you, daft? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> So, Steve, from here, when did you start with Black and McDonald? February of last year. Of last year. During COVID. Like, wow. Knock, knock on wood, I made the right choice because it was, I came to my own personal conclusion and evaluation where it's like, you know what? Okay. I got a young kid at home. I don't have the hours in the day to make this successful on my own. So let's just slow things down, shut it down. I was still teaching night school at the time. Still do. What were you teaching? Sheet metal. Sheet metal, really, yeah? Yeah. At what school? So it was at Victoria Park Secondary School. Okay. And it's actually a local 30 or unionized program. Nice. So it's every one of our apprentices have to do three phases of night school along with the three phases of the day school. So it's just extra education, extra learning, extra hands-on drafting. The How many people are doing that, though? Are they offering those courses all over the city, or is it just... No, this is just for the uh, apprentices. That's it. Wow, we should have more. We go back to education. Mm -hmm. So now Black and Mac, you made the decision a year and a half ago. What exactly do you do at, at Black and Mac? I'm a project manager. So you guys, Black and Mac does like a bunch of things. All sorts. Not just electrical speaking sort of things, right? right. So you, you guys are, I, I know that. Because uh, we got HVAC, mechanical, plumbing. Yeah, you guys, everything. Uh, civil. There's, like it's, I, I don't even think it's not even private news or anything. There's just there's also these joint ventures. There's all these companies that we're part of, and it's one big conglomerate that is pretty damn good. You always see the trucks all over the city. Yeah, and they're doing something around the city somewhere. Mm -hmm. But then they're all partnership or no? They're all subcontractors to like other hydro or electrical. No, they're not. See, I don't even know that. I just assume that. So they're not. They're their own entity, going in and doing the scope of work. From the city or from where is it? It's all from all sorts of clients. So we've had, like, on mine, it's so I'm doing Toronto Water. So you're in the east end. So I'm on the east end. I'm also on the west end because I'm doing sewage pump stations as well as water treatment for drinking. Okay. So I've got both ends of the spectrum there. So you're bringing in the water and filtering the water. Yeah. And how big is our infrastructure on that that side of the business? 
it's from, aging. From what I've seen, it's aging. Yeah. But it's huge. Is it massive? I didn't realize how big it was. Like, yeah. ne- never mind these big stations you hear of, like Ashbridge's Bay, Humber Treatment Plant. There's all these small little substations hidden all over the city. Like, just in, like, a 10-kilometer distance, there's probably about 20 pumping stations. Really? That are pumping the sewage to Ashbridge's or Humber. Wow. I didn't realize that. But you need that because you of the, that. the size of the city. The size of the city. Well, as I say, it's like, well, you got more toilets, so you got to channel it somewhere. Yeah, everything's got to go somewhere. Everyone yeah. just flushes the toilet, doesn't even think about it at no, that point. They don't. But they have to think about it at that point. Well, you guys have to think about it at that point. So it's aging. So how do we, are they, I guess they're fixing it as they go. Yeah. Because it's not going to last forever. No, definitely not. So there's like, so we're upgrading, I think each contract comes out, it's about seven stations at a time, seven substations. And so what exactly do you do there? We're just basically upgrading the the airport. Like as far as my scope, we're upgrading the air and filter, air filtration for, I guess, workers going in there maintaining the properties, maintaining the substation. We're working in conjunction with the electrical for doing new control panels, new electrical, the plumbers, upgrading all the pumps. That's a big one. Yeah. Because now a pump that used to be satisfactory for these 600,000 homes or condos or whatever, now have to deal with 1,200 homes. You know what? Like, Steve, you bring up a really good point because, okay, so all this renovation, all this renovating is going on. And you have all these homes in Toronto that were designed as four-bedroom homes, two-bathroom homes. And now they've been fully re-gutted, basement apartment, and then three bedrooms turns into three en-suites. And then full kitchens and added a powder room. So now that one structure that was pumping out two is pumping out six or more. Mm -hmm. Then you multiply that by X amount of homes and yep. what's going on there. Then you multiply other areas of part of the GTA. You, you put up a uh, an 18-story building that's got not even yeah. 12 suites per floor. So you're going all the condo towers, like when City Place came along and you all of a sudden popped up 20 towers. Yep. And now you've got an influx of so much water in and out at one location. That's Bedina and Gardner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now... The system and wasn't you, designed for that. Now you have that. to accommodate for all those extra toilets. Yeah. So for how all do you get so the pumping? And everything. And, yep. So what are they doing? They're going in there and they're literally making everything larger, or the, like they they're, have they're to. They're changing it. It's it's funny because some of the pumps you wouldn't think it. They're the exact same size pumps, but due to the advancements in modern technology, the pumps are the same size. Some of them are a little bit bigger, but they're pumping out twice the twice the matter. It's interesting because I was having a conversation with some plumbers, H2O, Krim, and I was talking to him because he does a lot of high-rise stuff. Mm-hmm. And I never even knew this. I never even thought about this. I didn't know that this is how it worked. Yeah. But there's pumps in each tower just to move the water up to yep. the upper floors and then also to, the reserve tanks. to slow it down coming down mm-hmm. because you can't just have that volume just go straight down because that'll cause more problems. And I had no, you don't even think about any of that stuff, Mm -hmm. but you think every single floor has X amount of units, X amount of bathrooms, and all this water is being used. So you guys got a lot of work. A lot. And on the other side of that, for the air, for the air filtration, we, a lot of, a lot of the sheet metal companies now we're, we're getting back into the schools. Well, because of everything that's gone on with COVID and everything, they want to put in UV filters. Oh, really? Yeah. They're putting in UV filters to filter to filter the air, cleanse it, get rid of all contaminants, 
to make the breathable air inside the buildings better, which I don't know why this hasn't happened years ago because... They were doing it in residential with the cold air, cold air return. Well, not just that. You go into a typical office that hasn't been renovated in, say, 20 years. The What's air the first is not, thing that happens? Yeah. You, you get stuffed up. Yeah, you do. And if you're an employee working in that structure... Well, that's why they started changing the air so much because everyone was arguing about how we're stuck in our homes for X amount of time, but mm -hmm. we keep forgetting we're stuck in our offices for X amount of time. We spend more time in the office, closed windows, sealed windows, and yep. we're working on artificial filtration, artificial yep. air. When's the last time that duct was cleaned? Yeah. And no, then also... Ne never, never mind the people that call you yeah. randomly. <laughs> Holy cow, huh? So what's the UV going to... So, you're, so how, the UV is supposed to kill all the particulates in the air but how would that work on a large scale i understand how that would work on a small scale when you have a single furnace set up mm -hmm. and you have it going through the cold well, air it's, a, it's the same on a commercial so it's it would be like a self-contained unit just like how you'd have like a filter box yeah it would go into the channel of the ductwork and it would just be on constantly 24 7. any air that goes through there it's going to get torched and then it'll clean the air before it gets expelled isn't that what kind it of cleans the air before it comes in comes in yeah, yeah. And so that's doing it on the supply side isn't that similar to what goes on on airplanes or I, there's a recycling thing on airplanes uh, airplanes have a recycling factor a lot of offices they try and build in the from what i've seen on places they're doing like a positive pressure system all they're doing is so they're taking outside fresh air and the air that's already in and just mixing it continuously but what's not, what's not happening is is you're not getting rid of the stale air. So you get the stale air mixing with fresh air. Yes, it's... So you're diluting... You're diluting the stale air. Got it. But that's not and really solving it. you have it. passive exhaust going through the stairwells and going through crevices and cracks, open a window. Are they going to do that for all the commercial? I'm not sure. I th so far, this is for, t for school... Schools for school only. Boards. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of offices are going to be investing in stuff like this because it's... You kind of have to. Yeah, or or you just have more work from home. And then you wonder why the workforce, I guess, is getting sick more often because you're basically just breathing in that contaminated air or yep. that stale air, right? And I think, you know what, people joke about, well, look at how many people, how many less people have been sick because they've been washing their hands more and wearing yeah. a mask. Well, they also haven't been breathing in. Everybody's air in an office. shitty air every time he farts. Yeah, exactly. No, that's just exactly what's been going on. Yeah. They're at home in their own environment where they know to change their own filter. They're Which they've been doing. Yeah. So they've been so conscious of how their homes are working now. Mm -hmm. And so then they breathe in. Yeah, it's true. They can open a window and open up the entire patio door, let all kinds of fresh air coming through. Actually, a funny part, that uh, bone to pick. Okay. We are talking so much about the education. I think that's, to me, I have a big bone to pick with this on both sides. Okay. And... It comes from the old generation teaching the new and the new generation not wanting to learn. I always thought it was the other way around. Or is it? So I've, I've, I've ran into both. I've ran into all, all the scenarios. I've had the elder people who don't want to teach too much because they're afraid of losing their jobs. Yes. Which to me is impossible because my philosophy is the more you learn, the less I have to do. Why not? The more efficient you'll be, the more work you can get done basically means the more pay you can make in the same amount of hours of working daily yeah that's but they don't look at that they don't look at that they look at the threat only which they, they the shouldn't threat. exactly and that same older guy is the old dog won't learn new tricks and then on the young side and on the young side you get guys who treat it as just a job 
I hate that. Bowl, they 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 honestly. only they only want to do the bare minimum that won't get them fired, but they can still collect that paycheck at the end of the week. And to me, it's like, okay, you know what? It's if you don't like what you do, okay, granted, whatever. If this is a stepping stone, try and put some effort into it because the work ethic that you bring into something you don't like, imagine the ethic you're going to bring into something you do like. So if this treat treat the job as a stepping stone, but learn it because there might be stuff you'll find enjoyable if you do actually put in that effort. Think back to like we were talking earlier about being a kid and how you lost that happiness, I guess, mm. vibe in your life. Think about all the things that you found interesting. I'm sure you and a lot of people that have been on the show, we always stopped at job sites downtown and we looked at the hole through the plywood and we were just in awe of mm -hmm. the work that was going on. Right. So or snuck into them or, or <laughs> some, some, some snuck in. Um, but the thing is that you get the kids who think back when you're a kid and what you liked mm -hmm. and why not? Like I, I look at it like, okay, so sure. You want to look at it. You get on a job site. It's just a paycheck at the end of the week and I get paid and then I'll party all weekend long and I'll come in a little bit late on Monday and start my week all over again. Why not? look at it as an opportunity of who's already there and what I can learn, what I can yeah. ask, how I can watch, pay attention, you know, and maybe be the nice guy and go, listen, I'm not trying to steal your job, but I just want to learn more. Mm -hmm. And what can you teach me? Why not look at that opportunity of eight hours a day, five days a week? Well, not just that, just if you, if you're not going to bring some kind of happiness into what you enjoy or what you're doing, then you're never going to create the relationships with the people you're working with. Never. Because those relationships of the, the, for the, with the people you're working with could eventually turn into other networks that gets you into what you actually want to do. Yes. Because it's funny, like what you actually want to do might not be what you, makes you happy at it's the end of the day. A, a thousand percent. Like when I was in high school, I wanted to go do computer engineering. Well, I... You're not it's doing it. Probably that. a dime a dozen. Yeah. Think of how many kids are working for computer companies or doing this or doing that. It's like how many people can fold the seams that I do on a metal roof or yeah. fold fold metal any way they want to to create this structure. Again, luckily through the union and all that stuff, I got the opportunity to go into these competitions. Whereas like the Toronto one, I did a top hat with a feather coming off of it. Won that one. Out of metal? Out of copper and brass. Out of copper and brass. Yeah. I have the pictures. I can sh I'll show you. On, yeah. your, on your Instagram? Uh, I Actually, I do have it on my Instagram. At, at Sheet Metal Steve, right? Yep. I got to see so that again, that. man. Wow. I got a round oval kindling bucket with okay. a maple leaf on it. Like cut out, two cut out maple leaves, one bigger than the other. Pop riveted on. Looks Holy cow. Nice and neat. We use it as a magazine holder in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's artistry I when it comes to metalwork. Yeah. You have what? A beer stein. A beer stein. Really? And I also have a, a violin or fiddle. Out of what metals did you use? Copper, brass, and aluminum welding rod. Holy cow. And these are competitions that are going on these all the time? These are competition pieces. Yep. Nobody knows about this. Like, how do you find out about these? How can you enter if you can, if you have the skills or you want to try? That's where... So, that's... be. Because it's through the union, it's it's after, so our night school apprentices, once they've achieved phase two, they can get into the Ron Brown competition. Once they've achieved phase three, they can go into the Colin Gordon, which then, if, once they get through the top two places there, they move on to the provincials, and then they move on to the nationals from there. Is the U.S. doing this too? The U.S. does do competitions. Okay. Uh, 
with all their se segregated unions and I think we, I've see, actually seen a lot of it. Skills Ontario does something like this as well. Okay. Cor the head coordinator of the Oakville Training Center for sheet metal, they asked me to go into the Skills Ontario. George Brown sends apprentices over to it as well. Fanshawe, all these like colleges that have the sheet metal programs, they get these apprentices go into into them, and you make some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. I got to I got to make like an octagonal fish tank holder. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm still at the point of how, trying to figure out how do you bend and shape metal into those shapes? A hat, a stein, a violin. How do you do that? Rollers, brakes, hammer. So all the tools that you normally use as a sheet metal tradesperson, you can create those items. Yeah. Holy cow. And it's not like it's not just like what's in my pouch. It's all these bench tools. So you get these little rotary tools that you change the dies into that make different seams. And you got to... You know, it will go like three quarters of the way on one, then put your wire seam in, then close it up. And you're just doing little finicking things here and there to shape it. I like that a lot. It could be practical and on a house if someone wants it, if you ever wanted to see it at the top of the roof or something like that. Yeah, like if you see, so if you see some of this work, it's called like, um, like cornice. Yes. Like your typical moldings. We, we would make that out of metal. How? All it is is just a series of breaks and rolls. I'm trying to... So, so okay, so you're breaking it, but then how you roll... How you... So, on some of the bigger faces that we've had to roll before, because we've had to do 10-foot pieces of galvanize across, like, a 22-inch face. Okay. On, um, I think, was it? I worked on the Berkeley Playhouse. Okay. And it would be just a series of five-degree pressure hits every 16th of an inch. And you would do it across eight inches. Oh. So every little micro break would give that little ding, 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 and give that nice little curve. Oh, I get it. Okay. Are they teaching this as part of the apprenticeship or no? I'm teaching it in my night school program. But not in the general? Uh, they do They do it in the day school programs oh, as well for oh, really? union yeah? and non-union apprentices. How are the kids reacting to this kind of stuff? Are they in awe? No? It's, yes. it's, hard, it's hard to gauge. Okay. I've actually had an apprentice flat out say to me, why do I need to learn this? I'm just going to be an installer. <laughs> he actually, they actually said and this. Flat out. And he regretted his words. Yeah. Because there was one time where he just decided left, he left early and he said to me, I just feel tired. It's like, I've been up early in the morning. <laughs> Guess what, sunshine? I've been up since four o'clock too. Wow. And I'm here teaching night school at 8.30 at night. Yeah. And I still got a day job in the morning. Yeah. Kid, teenager? Uh, mid twenties, mid twenties, mid twenties, old enough to early know better. 30s. Yeah. Cause I've always said that it's hard to gauge 18, 17, 18, 19 year olds that want to get into trades because I'm not exactly sure if they should, unless the passion is oozing from them. If they're just trying it for a career option to see, mm -hmm. I think more are going to be deterred than be interested at that age. I think in yeah. your early twenties. And, and this is, and this is why I think we need to do more workshops for gauging the younger people we can't bring them on there's uh the ontario youth apprenticeship program yeah oh yeah for all these larger trades we can't take on these kids because it's as a company it's a liability so uh, like they get these experiences out of these smaller companies who can get away with doing it some of the job sites they're dangerous to the point where we can't take on the liability of having these young kids because they don't know any better. They don't know like 
they're not going to stick to glue. They're going to sit there on their phone all the time. They're not so self-aware that, so that exactly. So that's where I think these workshops need to happen where we do cycling where, okay, well, if you don't want to listen to someone telling you, Oh, if you're, you need to have a university degree, let me show you all these things you can do with your hands. Because now you've got an option. Now you can consider yeah. alternatives. And Plus, there's, again, and there's, there's so many jobs that you can do with your hands. Like, it's not just the traits. There's so many artistry, like pottery. There's everything. So much. And then also the people, the people that you would meet if you surround yourself in, in a school environment or a job site environment, you don't know what that's going to do for you personally or professionally mm -hmm. where it may take you. You might meet somebody that might give you an opportunity yeah. to do something that you never realized that would have been or could be your passion. Exactly. And the funny thing, too, with that is something can become your passion. But ultimately, um, and I've seen this hold true with a lot of fellow tradesmen. Some of them, they love working on cars. But if they became an auto mechanic, they would, they hate, would it. hate it. Why? Like, I, I, know you, I know exactly because what you're talking you're, about. Because you're turning it into something that's no longer enjoyable because you're doing it for a paycheck. Whereas if you're doing it for kicks and giggles... You're doing it on your own time. There's no pressure. There's no stress. This other thing that you're doing becomes your career, becomes your passion, becomes something else that you're excited about, but you still have this. I've always said that every single tradesperson out there, I mean, you can go down one road and be that trade and work that trade and do a great job and love it. Love it and do it as best as possible, but you should always have something else. Always have something you enjoy. Yeah. Even if more than one thing, you yeah. should just always oh, have absolutely. something to release or to just have a, like a passion. Mm -hmm. If it's like, I can't say what it is for other people. You have to figure out what it is. That goes yeah. back to the evaluation in front of the mirror thing. Everybody I've met has something on the side. I'm surprised sometimes when I speak to people on the show where I speak to people on job sites and you always thought of them as the electrician or the HVAC person or the plumber or whatever. But then all of a sudden they tell you, oh, by the way, I actually do this on the side. And I'm like, I would never thought that you did that. Yeah. Like I've been paying attention to a drywall guy that I used to use a lot, Rob Rosati. He actually just got his commercial airplane license. Mm -hmm. He's been doing, and I've been following him throughout the whole pro, pro, uh, process where he actually got his single, double, night, commercial. Yeah. And I'm like, this is guys, I know him from hanging drywall and, and plastering, and the guy's got a passion for flying planes. Yeah. And I think every tradesperson should have one, or if not several. Everyone, not just tradespeople. Yeah, everybody, everybody. You like, know, there's no way you can go through life, like even on an office factor, like a nine to five job. You should have something else. You got to have something else. You got to have something that you can do. I don't care what it is. Even if you just want to do Googles, yeah, sketchbooks, yeah, whatever, yeah, do something aside from your job. Take an hour to do with to, your job, yeah, something. So then you have something to look forward to, or something that actually puts you at peace, mm -hmm. at ease. Like honestly, I agree with you, man. So we go back to the school. I want to go yep. back then and try to figure out because my I've had my share, I guess, of young kids working for me, and mm -hmm. they never lasted. I've only had one, and he's been with me for just over a year now, and the guy is a go-getter. He's hungry, and he actually came from IT, and he just wasn't passionate. He was like, this is soul-sucking. I'm not happy yeah. here. Then he just got into construction, and, and I met him through IG, and he kept on just sending me DMs and questions, and I apparently was one of the few that would always answer him, yeah. would always reply. Mm -hmm. And then I just it got to the point where I was like, I think it was the first or second DM, here's my number. 
call me or text me anytime you want and yeah. then we can talk about it. But I mean, like, how do we get these other kids to do that? How do we get these kids to get more interested in trades and understanding that you can make a very lucrative career out of this? You just mm -hmm. have to figure out how to do it. Oh, exactly. That's part of your responsibility as a tradesperson. You have to figure out how to do that. Someone may not show you how to do that. They'll teach you how to be the best tradesperson you can, yeah. and they'll teach you the skills, and they'll introduce you to other tradespeople, but you still have to figure out how to monetize your skill set. Right, and this is something that I heard this from my boss, and I think it's probably the best thing I've ever heard. I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. <laughs> You have to do that. You're the only one that can do that. I can show you 20,000 avenues of what you can do, but only you only you can figure out what you enjoy, what you want to do. Yeah. And now bringing these new kids on to teach them, you have to it's almost like our approach has to become different because every new generation thinks differently. So we got to find new ways and new creative ways in order to show them so they can understand it. And this is one of the things I've loved about teaching for the last eight years is I get to teach to the whole spectrum. You see. I see it. Yeah. And I even tell them right away in class, I can tell you 99 different ways to do this, but your classmate's going to tell you that 100th way where it actually clicks. And that's the one that... That's where we all come together. Well, it goes back to that whole mentality. You can fail 99 times. Mm -hmm. You just need to succeed once. Right. And all of a sudden, that's it. Takes like you to those, the next level. Or like those iceberg memes. Yeah. What everyone sees you doing yeah. and what you've actually done. Gone through. It's true. But I'm always trying to figure out how we get more kids or how we educate the older. I know that you, we started this by you talking mm -hmm. about you see on both sides. And I agree right. with you that I do see it on both sides as well. I think that the older tradespeople should be more than willing to give up the knowledge and pay it forward and give it back and yeah. be open-minded to that. Regardless, regardless of the young individual's uh, attitude. The stigma think, or maybe their should, mentality. We should always be trying to push, push forward the knowledge and not doing like a demeaning way. It's like, listen, motherfucker, you need to learn it. You need to learn it in order to do the job in order to do this. It's like, no, no, we're doing this because it looks nicer. It does the job. It's effective. And, and at the end of the day, who do we care about? The end client. Yeah. So if I'm doing some copper backsplash for someone, I'm going to tell them exactly how I'm going to do it before I even start. I'm not going to purchase a single piece of metal, a single fastener, pop rivet, solder, tools, nothing. Here's how I want to do this. Do you like this idea? Welcome through. Get them involved. Be a part of it. It's important. You've done a copper backsplash. Mm -hmm. Try and picture that, man. With receptacles in it. It's uh, below receptacles. Below. So almost like so, you'd have the you'd have your say black granite countertop with a three inch rolled top going into the drywall. Yeah. Right across. Yeah. Nice finished off, and then you have your the rest of your wall. I guess you could. Would I get a sheet metal guy or girl? To do a stainless steel custom countertop? Oh, yeah, absolutely you could. What's the longest that you can make it? I mean, are you limited by the breaker? It depends on how you get it. You can, you can get coils. However, say if you wanted to do something stainless steel, they would use a wire wheel and everything to hide the actual seam of the metal. How? 
I'm trying to. If I was to put together a jig on the table and I would weld my joints. Once I weld it, that would be grinded. And then I would take the sanding belt to put the grain back into it. So it would make it one continuous piece. And you'd almost make you that would seam. You wouldn't be able to see it. You wouldn't be able to see the no. seam. No way. Come on. Seriously, Steve? I've always had a fascination with stainless steel countertops. And I just, I think that there should be more of them in kitchens and resis. I, I had a potential client that wanted me to do something in their home kitchen. They were like pro uh, professional chefs, but I just, too busy. We lapsed on each other. I was horrible at touching back at the time because it was just, there was just too much going on. It's like, I'll let, I left off the conversation. I will let you know if I can do this. I've always, it kills me a little bit sometimes that I don't, I'm not able to do some of those touchbacks, but at the same time, it's okay. If I didn't call them to say, yes, I agree to this. Yes, I'm going to do it. Then I didn't hold my, I, I'm not putting myself in a situation where I'm going to under, yeah under uh produce i got it okay so let, i got a science question i guess mm -hmm. i guess stainless steel is cold to begin with to the touch yes i'm back into a kitchen application right if i were to heat the substructure and then apply the stainless steel and in the winter months that would be a constant heated stainless steel is that a problem Potential. If you were to heat. So if I were to use like a heated wire, like a heated flooring element, mm -hmm. put it on the actual counter and then install the stainless steel over the heated element. So I guess it'd be embedded in some sort of mortar mix. Yeah, it would, it would have to be because you'd have to have some sort of separation. Otherwise, you got your typical electrical hazard. <laughs> I didn't even think about that one because now you're metal conductivity. Yeah. So that, yeah. So, but the heated cables all have sheathing on it. So mm -hmm. it still have to be embedded in mix and then put the stainless steel on yeah. top of it. You would still get it. So metal absorbs heat like crazy. So would it get too hot too quick? Or I guess you'd have to regulate. You'd have to regulate the temperature, which you would do anyways. You can do that with the thermostat. Exactly. But so you're saying to me that you can, because I know stainless steel has a grain, mm -hmm. but all metals have grains. No, uh, no, or they don't. No. Depending on the, so there's different finishes of sheet of stainless as well. Okay. There's different, like once you get up to, I think it's like a number four finish. It's near mirror. It's really? Like, there's like. It's a polish. It's like se uh, seven or eight or something like that. I forget where it gets polished to the point where it's basically a mirror. What's the stainless steel that we're so used to, I guess, in commercial application? That would be a number four grain. A number four grain. And Which you can still make, fine. you can make that disappear. So you could, technically you, you speaking... Could, you could weld a seam between two pieces of stainless, grind it down, because you'd have all the excess build up from the weld, and then use the belt sander and smooth, and get the grain back in there, and you would not see a difference if yeah, it's I, done right. Here's the other bigger challenge. What if you wanted to continue it as a backsplash as well, too? You'd do that in two pieces then. There's no sense yeah. in, in breaking it or, at that corner. Not necessarily. So you do that all in one piece coming down. Like if you're talking just against one wall... Yeah. You could do the entire profile in one piece and then two, two, uh, two end caps. That would all get welded at the corner, and that would be the only change in your grain. I guess it gets challenging if you go into an L or a peninsula. You start. Uh, it does get challenging there because you would... So now you have the grain coming in two directions. Yeah, so you'd, so have, you'd have to have somehow... To B, yeah. Which is very difficult to get. Okay, I'm just but thinking outside. It. I'm just saying, I'm trying to 100%. figure out a way to do it. They but do they do that all the time. The companies do that all the time, though, for like five star kitchens. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Is that because when you... like when I went to trade school, 
I ran into someone like crazy learning how big the spectrum of sheet metal is. I'm doing roofing. This guy, his whole apprenticeship, all he's doing is five-star Michelin star kitchens. And those kitchens are not small. No. And they're cleaned up at the end of every night. they are on point. And they look beautiful constantly. So that sheet metal has got to be bang on. And I'm thinking, why not do that in a residential, in your home? Yeah. But I guess a lot of people want stone instead. Are we still, would it be the same price point? Or is it going to be more? I think you're looking probably around the same price point as granite. As granite, yeah. That's what I I figured. I would think. Yeah. It's a different kind of look, but it's interesting. You have less of the maintenance. Like using 316 stainless, that's food grade. Outdoor kitchen. You're cleaning it no no differently. You're just using different products. What happens? Nothing happens to stainless steel outside in the elements. Uh, Or is that not true? Over, yes and no. It becomes dull like anything. You get your outside dirt. You get all that kind of stuff. It does become dulled out depending on the type of stainless. Certain stainless alloys will have a iron count in it. So they will potentially rust. Really? Unless you can get a stainless and it's epoxy. Unless you get like a 316, a 400 series, 410 series. But then it's not food grade. Well, those ones are medical grade. Medical grade. For, I believe 410 stainless is medical grade, which is what all the, all the uh, surgery equipment is made out of. So you can eat off of those. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but then then those are a premium. That starts to get way more expensive than just yeah. When you're, it to when you're getting up to like four or five, six hundred series, you're way up there. Man, I'm fascinated by that. Like, a, I I can never do your job. I don't have the skill set for it. I guess or the patience, or whatever, or the math, or the science, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm still in awe of it, man. Like I like good metal work. Mm-hmm. Is that that's just bottom line, man? Yeah, like that project where we did that round. Yeah. That would have been so beautiful and lead-coated copper. Would have been. And I could have rolled it. So it would have been seamless. It would have been seamless, eh? It would have been seamless. No cuts, no notching. It would have just been one continuous piece wrapped around. That brings up a good point. Are you allowed to touch lead barehanded? We've had workers that go in for regular testing and they have no more lead in their system than the average five-year-old. But isn't the danger when you cut it? First of all, you're not allowed to mechanically cut metal, right? Are you allowed to do it? Airborne? I thought there's no risk for the airborne. For cutting lead? Yeah. Using snips. Snips. But but I was told is that you're not supposed to use a mechanical device to actually cut lead. because like a grinder? Yeah. You wouldn't do that anyways. I I I helped out as an apprentice on Casa Loma. And we did some of the turrets. Because you have to stay true to what it was. And lead seaming. Yeah. And all that is just paddles and snips. Wow. So it's just it's just hand yeah. work. Like you're using an actual pair of tin snips. You're using a pair of the, the bigger W7 snips. You do all your big long cuts. There's no You don't use a grinder for any of it. You can't. You, don't, you shouldn't. You don't, you don't use, need to. You do not use any electrically powered equipment to cut or seam any lead. Or any metal? No, some no, metal. metal you do, because I've used a bandsaw to notch uh, colored sheet metal. Okay. Like I actually on Instagram there, I have a video up there where I cut seventy two sheets. Through at what at one time? Yeah. With a bandsaw. Because mm-hmm. I was cutting all the S locks. But lead, you should never touch mechanical. Lead, you shouldn't. Period. Lead, you shouldn't ever need to. Like if you're gonna do anything, you would do with a bandsaw something that's cold cutting. You would never do it with a saw. 
never a metal saw. What? There's no point. It, the lead is so soft, it'll just gum up. No, I'm just like, my wheels are spinning, man. I'm just trying to figure out other things that are done. So, so um, yeah, just before we wrap up, Steve, I just want to actually talk about, so you've got the one red seal, mm-hmm. and then now you're also looking at other licenses as well, too. Yeah, so I'm looking Why at... Why are you getting so greedy, man, to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> I like learning. I like doing all kinds of different things. It's... The more I, I, the more I, I learn, the more I can teach, the more I can show, the more I can ultimately control, It'll probably branch narcissism, but no, but it's, it, you can control the way the next generation is educated so yeah. you can continue the interest and the passion in this industry. That's yeah. what's important. That's where the control part of it is. So like for, for me, like I'm going to be challenging three other red seal cfqs which are they plumbing hvac and electrical so basically you got to do no you're not going to do nine thousand. you're going to contest it right i'm going to contest it which makes basically for people who don't know or not familiar with that you can go in there and contest it and actually write the test and then get it without having to do the nine thousand. right with that being said though it doesn't. It doesn't mean that me getting that license makes me better, no, or equi- even equivalent, no, to that guy who spent nine thousand hours. Yeah, that just means I pass his test. I can give you a daily example about that. Every single person that drives a car has a license, right? <laughs> Not person who's on their day one compare the person who's driving on day nine thousand, two different kinds of drivers. Absolutely, but they both have the same license. That's right. <laughs> so just to give you an analogy that yeah. way. We see it every day. Exactly. So, yeah, so it makes sense. For me, it's a knowledge base so that I know what to expect. I can manage more jobs. I can manage more spe- more spectrum jobs. So I'm not just not only doing sheet metal. I can also do, okay, well, we have this big job that involves sheet metal, but we can also involves plumbing, HVAC, electrical. Okay, well, yeah. guess what? I have the knowledge base where I can oversee that and be able to have an intelligible conversation contribute contribute and also listen better mm-hmm. because that's the biggest problem i'm finding is i'm talking to all these foremans and all these other tradespeople on multiple different trade aspects they they don't have people that will listen to them it's the same with what you found with uh, being the gc rely on the trades they're supposed to know their shit it's not your job to know everything to the point where you're dictating all the work. No. It's like, no, no. Here's the scope. Give me approximately how you're going to do it. Because I want to understand what you're doing. Because that's going to also differentiate between different companies who do the same thing. Exactly. Eight, this guy has this method. This guy has that method. But this guy has this method. But I know this doesn't work. So without being a jackass to him, I'm going to say hey, well, I heard about this other way of doing it and it's kind of worked out in the past. Can you do it this way for me instead? That's all it is. That's all you're offering up. Yeah. It's just like because our other tradespeople may be not come across that mm-hmm. new way or that thought or whatever. And what we're trying to do is just share the education. That's all it is, man. Without yeah. being a dick about it. Well, exactly. Yeah. And with the whole education part of it too, I'm actually... So I did make an OnlyFans. It's going to be free for now. Uh, my, I'm trying to look for a venue... So where I can start doing drafting, do videos of drafting, show guys how to do the pattern drafting of how the layout of metal works and also go into some blueprint reading. Oh, wow. When are you going to get that started? I've put up a bit of a video to see if I get people to ask questions. 
so I can have specific items to show them before I dive into start doing videos of drawings and stuff. Um, the videos you'll put them where on IG? I'll, I'll put them up on IG. I'll okay. put them on an OF. I'll okay. put them up on TikTok. Let me know, and then I'll share them as well, and then so people can yeah. see, and then then you can get you get the voice, you get the people coming back and asking yeah. you, right? Would you do this? Would you do that? Yeah, and to put well, because I'm just naturally a bit of a, a little bit of a smart ass, I put onto it and spreading knowledge, not legs. <laughs> <laughs> Which so makes I, a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone uh, goes on to OnlyFans, look up Bearded Instructor and have a laugh. Then you'll get it. Yeah. You'll get a sense of it, man. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, man. All right. So everybody, uh, talking to Steve here about all kinds of metal work. Uh, you can find him on IG at, at, at Sheet Metal Steve. That's a nice handle, man. How'd you find that one? Sheet Metal Steve. On the fly. Yeah, I like it, man. Yeah. All right. So I got one last segment. Wait a minute. I'm looking for my paperwork. Where did it go? Hey, you lose yourself. Found it. I got the 12 questions of construction here. Steve, you ready for this? Yeah. <sighs> Let's see where we're at. What is your favorite construction word? Fix it. <laughs> uh, what is your least favorite construction word? Your problem. What turns you on in construction? Architecture. What turns you off in construction? People sitting around on their phones. Oh, I can't stand it. We're all glued <laughs> to it. Let, let it go. Yeah. Like we talk about cleansing. Have a have a phone social media cleanse once my, a week or something. My man. wife does it awesome. During her work hours, everything is blocked on her phone. She, pick, she picks it up. She can't even access it. Smart. Smart. What is your favorite curse word or phrase? Go for coffee. <laughs> What is your favorite car, truck, bike, vehicle? Ooh. I've seen the new Sierras. I love, I would love a 2500 Sierra. They're looking good, the new trucks, eh? Crew cab, long box. What they're not looking good is that they're getting up to almost six figures. Yeah. I would never in the life of me ever think that a pickup truck could cost the cost of a house back in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> But look at the new age, man. We're getting into the. Uh, it's different. It's different. I know. I saw. Well, I saw. Is is GM planning on anything electric? Yeah. Are they? So they are working on it. Because I know that. Ford, well, they've done hybrid vehicles in the in like, Yeah. So then, why wouldn't they have the done? Yeah. I mean, they're they're leaders in pickup trucks. I'm still stunned that they haven't come out with a larger, taller van to compete against the other two. Uh, yeah, against Merck and Ford. Yeah. Right. So I mean, and and I, I wouldn't even consider ProMaster or whatever a van, but that's just like toilet on wheels. But, you know, send your letters to Manny, by the way. <laughs> uh, I never get them. Uh, what is your least favorite car, truck, bike vehicle? I would have to say it's it's got to be those smart cars. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I want to put one of those in my back guy, one so day. <laughs> I, sat, I sat in one one time just to check it out, and a friend of mine was sitting in the passenger, and we weren't even rubbing elbows. His left arm was my right arm. It was just like... I had a buddy that sat into one, and it was, I think, the first year they came out with them. He sat into it, and he's like, Where's the, where's the ignition? Oh, his ass cheek was covering it. Yeah. It's right beside you. I know. It's Plus, forget about the fact of what if you do get into an accident one day with that thing? Oh, you're gone. <sighs> Two guys can pick that up and put it in the back of my pickup. Yeah, I know. And the, it will fit comfortably. Oh, yeah. It will, you'll have to put a bike lock on it, huh? <laughs> What construction sound or noise do you love? 
welding. Welding, eh? That that crackle. That crackle. That. I do like that. Actually, when I think when I hear it, I think of something interesting being built. That's what I think of. It could be maybe the simplest thing, but I just envision something really interesting being built. Construction sound or noise? Do you hate? When people use the hammer drill driver as a SDS. So when they're trying to drill concrete, you get that high whining sound. Mm-hmm. Where it's like... Just use an SDS. Yeah. That's why SDS was invented. Right. By Bosch, everybody, if you didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt, Steve? Hmm. I actually, I still have aspirations for it. Um, I do want to get into a bit of engineering. Oh, yeah? I was, uh, a couple years ago, I was looking into green roof architecture and engineering. I'm fascinated by that, too, as well. I think it's an interesting way to go, because God knows we don't have enough trees. No. Going on with the way they're building cities. Uh, And, you know, becoming a consultant, becoming an engineer in most fields... And first and foremost, and green roofs. And having the background knowledge into it. They, they cool structures down. Green roofs. Absolutely. They, that's a fact. It's they, a multifaceted purpose. Yeah. That's they absorb, why. They absorb the water. So you're not getting as much gray water going into the storm drain. The system. You're not overlo- yeah, overloading the exactly. system. Exactly. You're creating a cooler roof. Yes. You're taking off some of the UV off the roof as well. Yes. It's a win-win across the board. Yeah. I know. Totally. What profession would you not like to do? Sales agent. It's basically a nine to five on the road. I, yeah, I, you know, I did the door knocking once upon a time in the past. It's hard. It was not for me. It's hard. And you, you got to have a bit of a con artist mentality behind it in order to, you know, have that silver tongue. I always thought like salespeople, I guess, generally speaking, door like knocking were basically legalized grifters. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just kind of what they do. They have so a sales pitch. Yeah. They kind of have a little in. How do I get in? How do I answer this question? Or how do I get them to yeah. not close the door on me? And it's How just, to make anyone say yes. Yeah. How do I keep on getting to the yes yeah. over and over? You're, you're a grifter. And it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with no's. <laughs> uh, last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Wrong level. <laughs> <laughs> It's two doors down. (laughs) That's a good one. I like that one, Steve. Everyone, check out Steve at Cheap Metal Steve, and you'll see some of the stuff that we talked about right here. If you got any questions regarding any of the metal work or anything like that, or also the class, right? I guess you got students as well. Yeah. If uh, anyone has any questions about sheet metal or anything about construction in general, you want to ask some questions, feel free just to reach out. Reach out, man. Reach out. That's what the whole show is all about. Steve, once again, thank you so much, man. I know we bumped into each other. We've been talking quite a bit all over IG and stuff like that, but then we bumped into... You came by the job site and we were talking a little bit and I thought, you know what? Come on the show, man. And then I always want to pick your brain about this stuff, right? So it's all good. Thanks again, man. I really, I know it's amazing. I love it, man. So everyone, reach out to him and uh, thanks again, Steve. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Oh, I forgot to say, guys, you got to keep don't the skills competition. I'm giving away one thousand five hundred dollars, man, Canadian dollars. So anybody wants to submit a project, 
Anybody could submit any project. It doesn't have to be some finish. If you're passionate about framing, plumbing, mechanical, just show me something that you've built and the skills behind it and the passion behind it. Shoot me an email at info at theconstructionlife.com. I will look at it, review it, and I'm going to choose a winner on Labor Day. So September 6th of this year will get chosen and they will get the money for that. And it's something that I want to plan on doing every single year. And hopefully the purse grows. It's up for grabs. And it, it could be anything. I'm telling you, it could be anything at all. It's really about, I want to see the skills and passion. That's all I care about. Sounds like a fantastic opportunity. You guys better jump on it. I know. It's perfect. All right. Again, thanks, Steve, so much, man. Absolutely, Take care. Man. Take care.